Welcome to Leading Behind the Scene. I'm your host, Gwendolyn Young, the go-to business and operations consultant for six-figure CEOs who are ready to greet their next level of growth. And I'm ready to share tools, strategies, and tips to help you excel in your business and your life. If you're a service-based entrepreneur, be sure to join me each Thursday. Find me on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And don't forget to follow the show on your favorite podcast player so you never miss an episode. And if you love the content, leave me a rating review. Now let's get into today's episode. Hey, beautiful people. Welcome back to another episode of Leading Behind the Scene. We continue our series on HR Matters. This week, my special guest and I will dig into the world of HR and talent development, focusing on a topic critical for organizational growth and success, skill development and training. In the fast-paced world of business, staying competitive means constantly enhancing individual and team capabilities. And who better to guide us through this process than an HR expert with years of experience in identifying skill gaps within teams and providing training opportunities to bridge those gaps. Our guest today is Renata Samuel, a seasoned HR professional whose expertise in talent development and training strategies has transformed organizations and empowered countless individuals to reach their full potential. In this episode, we'll explore the intricacies of skill gap analysis, the art of tailoring training programs to diverse teams, and the secrets to creating a culture of continuous learning. Whether you're an HR professional looking to sharpen your skills or a business leader eager to enhance your team's capabilities, this conversation is sure to provide some valuable insights. So without waiting any further, let's welcome Renata to the show. Welcome, Renata. Thank you for joining us today. How are you? I am feeling great. Thank you so much for having me here. I'm excited about spending time with you and your community. Yes, I'm so glad that you're here. And I want to share a little bit about you before we dig in. Is that okay? Yes, go right ahead. Awesome. So beautiful people, Renata Samuel is a culture, talent, and people leader focused on change management and organizational development to retain top talent. Her work includes internal mobility, diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, and the employee design experience as she works closely with learning and development and talent management. She facilitates the change management process within organizations as they evolve their human capital strategy. Her project management team is specifically responsible for retention and attrition metrics. She's had the opportunity to work in a variety of industries, including academia, hospitality, retail, and financial services, supporting clients across the entire United States. Her work is a vital part of the integrated talent management process that integrates all HR management practices into an end-to-end system that attracts, engages, develops, and helps people progress in their careers. She is passionate about people operations within multifaceted businesses, and we're excited to talk to her today. So, Renata, give us some context. How did you become passionate about this crucial aspect of HR? Yes, well, prior to entering HR, I was in academia, the ivory towers, doing research, all those wonderful things. I still do have a passion for those things, but I realized that I could have a greater input and impact on lives working in corporate America in the HR function. So my initial entry into HR 
was a traditional recruiting role. Wow. And I was in a position where I just saw a revolving door. You know, we're bringing in this great talent, doing all this hard work up front, identifying the talent, putting them through the interview process. They're getting hired and then they're leaving Mm. what some organizations would call quick quits individuals that leave within a year. Oh, wow. Okay. And I'm just like, you know, it has to be something better. So from that recruiting, my role really uh, matured into more of a project management role where I began to partner with learning and development and talent management to say, what can we do to retain this top talent? We're doing all these great things to get them in, but we got to keep them. And so from there, that's where the organizational design and the culture work came in. So at the foundation of who I am, I'm a TA professional. Oh, I love that. So let's talk about this a little bit. How do you make this assessment of like the current skill levels of employees within a team or organization or kind of getting to the root of what this quick quits is and getting in front of that? How does that work? Right. So, you know, we always have to begin with the end in mind. So number one, we have to know, do we have accurate job descriptions? Mm-hmm. Are people in accurate job functions? You know, our goal is to have the people in the right position doing the right job. I highly recommend that job descriptions are updated often, you know, as the roles changes, as the business objectives change. One good thing to do is try to do it annually. If it's a large organization and you can't do the whole organization annually, at least do a third. So every three years, these job descriptions are being updated. Now, there's a um, insurance broker from uh, downtown Chicago, Hub International. That's where their corporate offices are. And they suggest five steps in evaluating your job description. Okay. So number one, evaluate them, you know, prioritize which ones are outdated because you might not be able to do them all. And then number two, create a template. So the entire organization is operating off of that same template. I like that. You would find it fascinating to be like, how could this large organization have job descriptions that look nothing alike across different business units? It's crazy. The third step that they suggest is collect relevant information about the job duties now, the responsibilities, the specifications, the work environments, the demands, things of that nature. And the way that they suggest doing that is if there is an incumbent in the role right now, get the information from them. Mm. If there's a manager overseeing someone, get the information from them. We don't need to look at job descriptions that are 20 years old. We need to know what are people doing right now. So then the fourth step after you have all of that is putting the updated job description together so it accurately reflects the role that you're hiring for now, not 20 years ago when it was originally written. (laughs) Last but not least, make sure you're updating them on a regular basis and you decide what that cadence is within your organization. So before we can even get to assessing you know, skill levels, we have to make sure we're using the correct measurement stick. I love that. And if the organization is measuring people by their job descriptions, let's get that correct first. I love that. Once we have the correct measurement stick, then we can start talking about systems. You know, you can use your company's LMS system, your learning management systems. 
So there are several different vendors out there like uh, Lee Hep Harrison. They also have a presence downtown Chicago. They have a career mobility platform. 15.5 is another platform. They have a uh, developing competencies platform. I really like Quantum Workplace. They have a performance management platform. So you can bring all of these things into the organization, but we have to make sure we're set up appropriately first so that we can assess it properly. I absolutely love this. And I love making sure that you have this job description that you're sort of using as this measurement stick, right? So when you think about creating these job descriptions, we know keeping them up to date, all of those things to reflect what people are currently doing. But how do you build in the metrics and kind of the KPIs? And for those of you who are new, but you shouldn't be, if you've been hearing me talk, you know what KPIs are, your key performance indicators. How do you build those into the job description so that they're part of kind of this measurement stick? Or is that something separate to focus on? We can definitely build them in. So your KPIs or your OKRs, you know, those will change slightly from year to year, depend on where the business is going. So you have to know what the goal is. What is your goal for this job, for this function? What are they here to do? I'm a firm believer that successful KPIs are built well when you work backwards. Mm. So I need the leadership to be able to tell me what does good look like? What does success look like? And once you know your goal, once you know what good looks like, then you can design the process and the systems to support your employees in achieving that goal. In addition to the process and systems, then we layer on the behaviors because we don't want people to get the work done by any means necessary. Mm. We want to preserve a certain culture. You know, we don't want people wild, wild west out there. We don't want that. (laughs) We don't want that. So after we figure out the processes, we figure out the systems, then we start training them on the behaviors. This is what I'm interested in having you achieve. And this is how I would like you to get there. You leave some room for innovation, but You know, you make sure that the culture is preserved so it doesn't become wild, wild west. I got you. I love that. So you mean you don't want people out here just rogue and kind of doing their own thing Mm -mm, mm -mm. all willy nilly all over the place? That's not where it's at. It's not that. (laughs) HR, we don't want that. Employee relations, we don't want that. So, you know, given that what you just shared with us, like, How do you handle resistance to the change or training or the things that you're implementing in an organization? Because, you know, sometimes there's a small subsection of people who are like, I'm still going to do it my way because, you know, I believe in this wild, wild west. How do you handle that resistance to change? First of all, educating myself within the organization because there are several different subcultures. So you might have a culture Mm -hmm. of the organization as a whole. Then you might have cultures within various different business units, and then you might have cultures within various regions if it's a national organization. So educating myself to know what the resistance is really about. You know, it's probably not about we want to change a process or procedure. The resistance probably is related to fear, insecurity, or just the uncomfortable notion of change. So once you know what the resistance is really about, you can begin to address that. And part of that process is socializing the idea of change. 
You know, in leadership, we cannot sit at the top of the table, make decisions and just kick things down and expect everyone to absorb and adopt them. Mm. We really need to have the people who are affected part of the change process, Um, talking to them and finding out what would good change look like for them? How can they go about implementing it? Once we figure that out, then we can begin to talk about why the training is needed, why this is important, and tie it back to them and their main goals so they have some skin in the game. Once we get those individuals to get some buy-in, they'll start helping to socialize the idea even more and get others to buy in and then become part of the process. So it's no longer a top down. I'm just pushing down this notion or idea on you, but it's a combination top down, bottom up, and we're all working together. Once we get that, then we can develop a communication plan so people understand this is where we're going. This is what's going to happen. This is what you can expect. I love this, not, you know, basically sitting high and looking low. It's really thinking about Mm -hmm. how does this affect even at the lowest level of my organization, right? And I think sometimes you're right with leadership CEOs. It's like, this is my business. I built it. This is how I want it to be. It's like either get on board or get on off. And there's a time for that perspective. But I think for the most part, you can't do anything without people. And so you really want to make sure that the things that you're implementing, the things that you're changing, they have some sort of stake in it. And so what are the strategies that you employ to involve those team members and those kind of lower level employees in the process? Absolutely. One of the most overlooked strategies, just to ask, ask people what they think, ask them what they're experiencing, because they're going to be able to provide a different perspective because their hands are in it every day. You know, they're working at a level, they're talking to the client, they're touching the product, things of that nature. So just ask. And once you get that information, you can begin to develop what your next steps should be. The thing about it is don't ask and then not take the information into consideration because that ruins your culture. (laughs) Because what's going to happen is you're going to ask and people are going to stop talking. Mm. So if you ask, be prepared to take action on what's given, even if that action is. Thank you for your feedback. At this time, we can't move forward on that. But what we can do is this And we'll keep this in consideration for next time. I love that. So you have to ask and then be willing to take action. Okay. So I want to switch gears just a little bit. And I want to talk a little bit about building kind of this continuous culture of learning within an organization, right? So, you know, what are some of the methods or best practices for kind of creating that type of culture? where continuous learning and skill development is a core element of a business. How do you do that? How do you create that? What are some of the best practices for that? You know, some of my top recommendations are, number one, support continuous learning. Then number two, reward continuous learning. Mm. So what would that look like within an organization? Have a professional development budget for employees that they can use 
at their discretion. You know, it can be something as simple as, you know, $100 a quarter or $100 a month to buy a book on Amazon. Mm. Or it can be $5,000 for the year in which they can use to attend conferences, receive coaching from a professional like myself, you know, even offering tuition reimbursement. And some people may say, well, I don't have the money. Things are tight now. Our budget was cut. You know, something that you can do that's relatively cost effective is that as a leader, anyone that's leading a, a meeting, you know, at the start of a meeting, have a did you know segment. Mm. And so in that did you know segment, um, someone, you know, they would would have been picked in advance. So you're not putting them on the spot, but they would be responsible for coming to the team and educating them on a fact that they learned. And it could have been something they learned from reading an article, attending a free webinar, things of that nature, and sharing that out. Just That's just a quick five minutes before the start of your meeting, but keep that continuous. I love that idea. The person rotates every uh, meeting. So everyone gets to use their voice and talk. You'll get to know people's learning styles, their teaching styles. And it's just five minutes. So there's no excuse not to implement that. Oh, my gosh. So I'm going to be implementing that (laughs) right away in my own business with my own team. So I love that. And then I love this professional development budget, right? Because I come from a corporate environment. So I always think that the budget has to be super large. But then when you mention like $100 a quarter or something like that, that could just be, hey, you know, this is for investing in a new professional development book. Or maybe there was a masterclass you saw that you were interested in or something like that. So that is very doable. So for all my CEOs out there thinking that you don't have the budget for professional development as kind of this benefit and resource to build your culture, you actually do. It does not have to be anything grandiose. So I absolutely love these strategies that you have shared with us. So keeping kind of in that same vein, How do you ensure that the training programs or the professional development that you implement actually align with your overall goals and objectives for the business? So it requires that everybody has some skin in the game. So as the learner, you know, if you're going out and you're getting a book or you're participating in the trainings that are offered on the LMS in your company system, You know, you as the learner need to find a way to tie it back to your current role Mm. and your overall company objectives. And so if you're not able to do that, that's an opportunity to speak with your manager to say, hey, you know, this training was recommended for me in the LMS. This is what I learned. You know, so it's not a matter of competency because you learned something in the training. But there is an issue with the connection. So in that one on one, you just have a conversation. You know, this is what I've learned. But how do I tie that back to my role? Oh, I love that. How do I tie that back to our team? And then you're getting that one on one coaching. You know, for the most part, we're not learning just for learning's sake. But don't get me wrong. That's good. But when we're in these corporate positions and companies are paying and providing us access it's implied that we're going to learn and then bring that knowledge back to the organization. So the goal is to be able to improve your individual performance in your current role and for the next opportunity. And so once again, requires skin in the game. I absolutely love that. 
So when you think about that from a CEO's perspective, let's say of a small business, how do you anticipate that they should be doing that same thing? Like, what's your recommendation for that? I'm thinking, do they bring back what they're learning from conferences or professional development that they might learn or different things that they participate in, masterminds or whatever? Are they bringing that back and sharing pieces of that with the team? Like, what does that look like for the CEO? Absolutely. That is an example. Company leaders, they have to have an idea of what success looks like for the employees. And then they have to model that behavior so that Mm. employees can align themselves appropriately. So in your example, if a CEO or a leader goes and presents at a conference or is engaged in some type of activity outside of the company, Being able to come and bring that back and say, this is what I've learned. This is how it impacted the company. This is how I think we can use this to move things forward. Because when they're modeling that behavior, it's going to entice their employees to do the same type of thing. I went to this event. This is what I learned. This is what I can bring back. And some of these things are happening in individuals' daily lives, you know, Um, People are volunteering to be Girl Scout troop leaders, Boy Scout troop leaders, so forth and so on. There's leadership skills and development and organization and money management and things that are happening there. But are they comfortable enough to bring those back into the organization to share, to say, this is the skill that I learned and this is how I want to apply it? I absolutely love that. So I'm going to ask a question because I know this comes up a lot of times, probably, you know, more so for CEOs and department heads and things of that nature. What are the strategies that you use to measure the return on investment of like training and development? Right. So we have to figure out what our goals are. You know, we need to know that coming in. So number one, did we reach our goal? What did we learn? Are we positioned um, to do the next step, whatever the next step is? So when we're investing in software or we're bringing people in or things of that nature, we have to be very intentional in doing so. Um, Because if you don't know what you want on the front end, it's going to be hard to get it on the back end. Mm -hmm. Now, that doesn't mean that you have to be crystal clear. But you can't just design a program and say, hey, let's just see what happens because you don't know what the ROI may be. So the ROI may not be that you saved training dollars, but the ROI may be that you improved employee engagement, Mm. you improved synergy and the culture is functioning at a higher level. But if you're not even measuring those things and you're just looking at training dollars and you're saying, well, we spent $300,000 last year. We spent another $300,000 this year. Nothing's changed. We didn't get an ROI. Let's throw this program out. Uh, there's a whole bunch of things that did improve and did change, but you weren't measuring those. Mm. So know what you want to measure. Definitely work with your HRIS system and be set up to capture both quantitative and qualitative data, because sometimes the things you didn't even know you should be measuring, you don't realize it until afterwards and you get the data and you're like, wow, this is where our big improvement was. 
Oh, I absolutely love that. So before we head out, what would be your best tip to the CEOs out there, the department head leaders who are responsible for human capital in the organization? What would you say to them? Um, Don't be afraid to get help. You know, help is not a sign of weakness. It's actually a sign of strength. Having an individual like myself or a consultant come in to be able to give you a fresh perspective, it opens up your eyes to things that you may not see Mm. because you're so focused on the day-to-day functionality of the business. You're not able to come up to look that high level to really look at the organizational development and how all those pieces are coming together. So feel comfortable stepping away, inviting in experts, and do it often so that you get good return on your investments. Oh, I absolutely love that. Renata, thank you so much for sharing today and saying yes to coming on the show. How can people connect with you? Yes, well, thank you for having me. Uh, The best way to connect with me is on LinkedIn. Uh, You can find me there, Renata Harrison Samuel. I'm also on other uh, social media platforms such as uh, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. But LinkedIn, I'm most active on. Wonderful. Beautiful people. I hope you found today's conversation insightful and inspiring. Remember that enhancing individual and team capabilities is not just a matter of professional growth. It's the key to unleashing the full potential of your organization. Whether you're an HR professional, a business leader, or an individual looking to advance your skills, the wisdom shared today can guide you on your journey. Thank you for joining us today on Leading Behind the Scene. That wraps up our series of HR Matters. Remember to subscribe so you don't miss any new episodes. Share it with someone today and leave us a rate and review. Until next time, keep nurturing those skills, identifying those gaps, and most importantly, keep learning. The road to success is paved with continuous growth and development. I'll see you on the next episode. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode of Leading Behind the Scene. I hope you found some encouragement or helpful information today to help move your business and or your life forward. If you have a specific topic you'd like me to talk about or guests you'd like me to have on the show, feel free to send me a DM on Instagram, Facebook, or LinkedIn. I love connecting with my listeners. Also, be sure to follow the podcast so you never miss an episode and leave me a rating review. I'll see you next week.